How's it going today? If you have a Bible, you want to get to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where I'm going to be for a little bit this morning. Um, how many of you have spent a little time with us in 40 Days of Transformation? Um, I hope you have, and I, um, I hope that... I know God's, God's doing some things, because I know that you've, some of you shared some of those things with me. Um, and I'll just say this, that uh, on Wednesday night when we gather in this room, which we'll talk about in a little bit later... Um, we're going to have a time where we talk about that. Man, what's God done in these 40 days? How's God worked in your heart, worked in your life? Maybe where's there been struggle or belief or unbelief? Um, I want to talk about that a little bit next uh, Wednesday night. Um, but these, these 40 days, even as Jeff said, have really been um, more about setting a trajectory on our hearts than about like getting to a destination, right? Like day 40. Um, <laughs> Like, okay, we made it, we arrived. Um, and so that's really the heartbeat of, of what we've been trying to do. Um, and what I want to do this morning, uh, we have, I think, like five days left um, in this 40-day journey, and this week we'll launch into serving. Um, but what I want to do today is I kind of want to encapsulate all that we've done and give some explanation and some kind of how do we, how do we live transform, as transformed people? How do we live ongoing lives as people who... God has changed, but is continuing to change. Um, and so go to Colossians 3. I want to unpack these four verses in Colossians 3. Verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. That's really hard to do. <laughs> really hard to do. Um, we're going to talk about how, how do we maybe do that. Um, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if you, if, if you look at verse 1, notice what it says. It says, like, if you've been raised with Christ. So it says, it's talking, it's assuming there's a transformation that's happened. Right? Like, so if transformation is taking place in our lives, then it's going to set our lives in a certain trajectory that we live in a certain way, is what Paul is getting at. And so I want to kind of try to, to, try to think on this as we think about what does it look like to not only be a people that are transformed, but continue to live in, as people that are perpetually changed by God. Um, this idea of being, being raised, um, being raised with Christ, Paul, Paul, earlier in Colossians, he explains this a little deeper, so I want to show you this. Um, if you look at Colossians 2, you can look back in your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen. Listen to these words, how the Apostle Paul describes this, this picture of what it means to be, that we're people, that if you're a Christian here, that we're raised with Christ. He says this, having been buried with him in baptism, okay, so we've done that before, right? We've We've seen baptisms in this room or in other rooms, and it's that picture of like, like you're dying with. It's the imagery. Having been buried with him, talking about Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. So through the, through the act of faith, it's saying that as God's people were buried with Christ and were raised with Christ. Through faith in the powerful working of God. So it's, it's that's what we've been talking about this, this all, all these eight weeks about transformation. It's the work of God. 
who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So that's talking about pre-transformation, pre-cleansing. You decided to get up out of your filth and live right. Is that what it says? No, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So notice the term legal demands. Like, what do you think that implies? Legal demands. Like that the law demands some things, right? It demands, like, for example, holy God, sin has to be punished. So, like, in this forgiveness transaction, it's not that God takes our sin and sweeps it under his, like, cosmic carpet as much as it literally says that he canceled the record of debt, that it was, it was put on him. The penalty was put on him, and we were rendered forgiven, not counted against us. Yeah, so that's, the, that's what Paul's trying to unpack here as this identity. He used this identity language in this passage. That's what he's trying to get our minds around as we think about, okay, to be a people who don't think about, on, on things below but think on things above, it's all about, okay, who am I in Christ? Who am I as a child of God? This is a, it's, it sets a, directory, a, a trajectory in a life that I want to um, unpack a little bit. Um, but if you look at verse 2, it says this, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Um, any of you kind of struggle to focus? Kind of like, you know, you start doing something here, and then all of a sudden you're like, over here, and all of a sudden you're like, what was I doing over there? I, I came into this room for something. You know, the whole like, well, if you go back to where you were before, then you'll remember. Like, anybody, anybody do that? Um, so um, one of my kids in particular has a really hard time focusing. I won't throw him under the bus. That narrows it down a bit. Um, but, so he has a really hard time focusing. So one of the things that we encourage him to do when he has a hard time focusing is he has to sing what he's doing. Um, and so like, he'll be like, buddy, go put your shoes on. And next thing you know, like, he's in the other room doing something like, why aren't you putting your shoes on? And I'm like, oh, what? And, and so like, you know, we make him like, put my shoes on, I'm putting my shoes on. We make, him, we make him sing his task. And you know what it does? It focuses his mind on what he's doing. Now, he hates it. He absolutely hates it. We think it's a little funny. Like, you know, it's just a little tool that we're trying to use to help him focus. Um, but, he, but he doesn't like it too much. But do you know what it does? It focuses his mind on what he's doing. That's what Paul's talking about here when he says, set your mind on things above. Like, so this idea of setting your mind literally means to, to focus, to focus your mind um, not on things that are on earth, but on things that are above. That's really hard to do. Like, we don't just do that naturally. We don't just naturally think like godly thoughts. Naturally, we're probably more discouraged or more like seeing things as the world sees things, less than seeing things as God sees things. That's our flesh weighing in, not the spirit weighing in. And really what Paul's saying here is, is we got to live in this idea of focusing our minds. Focusing our minds on the things that are happening. Um, there's an exchange between, this is a pretty intense exchange between Peter and Jesus in Matthew. I want you to see this because it's, it's, it's pretty profound. So um, Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he's going to die and he's going to be risen. And like Peter's just, he's not having it. Literally takes Jesus aside and it, the scripture says rebukes him. Calls out, calls him out. Listen to Jesus' response. 
after Jesus has been rebuked by Peter in Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Okay, you know it's a bad day as a disciple if the Son of God calls you Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, that's, that's the language Paul just used. About how, like where we set our minds. So he's using this language, the same thing. He's like, you're thinking less in light of, of human perspective than man perspective. Because man perspective, like, that's ludicrous, right? Like, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise again. Like, What? But what is Jesus saying? What is Paul saying? Is that the kingdom of God is upside down, backwards, and inside out. Right? Like, you heard the phrase, like, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. The king was born in a feeding trough. Like, does, does any of that stuff, like, make sense in the scheme of how things generally go in this life? No, because God's ways are different and they're above and they transform the normal thought patterns and where our minds just naturally go on their own, which is why Jesus and why Paul is saying, set your mind, be focused, be diligent. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take just real quick, I want to go through the, the last five disciplines that we've done. Um, and I want to show how those disciplines really are, are a means that way they've they set the trajectory to help us focus, really to sing our tasks, so to speak, to sing what God's called us to do, um, and then set us up to really live in a trajectory for the Lord. Um, so the first week, what did we tackle? Bible intake. Um, Bible intake was really all about um, Jesus's, establishing Jesus' authority um, and his promises. So trying to consume our mind with who Jesus is and what he's done and really the authority of the Bible on our lives. Um, one of the verses that if you followed the, um, any of the content that we looked at a ton was Psalm 119.18 that says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Um, really like saying, God, give me something to sing today, if we can continue with that analogy. But I want to show you a passage in Ezekiel. This is uh, really a show's illustration where how grasping the promises of God empower us to live in those promises. Listen to these words in Ezekiel. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. So this is the prophet Ezekiel talking about um, God speaking to him. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel. So here's God. This, um, this guy Ezekiel gets this message from God. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to send you to do a work. I'm going to give you a task. And he, so he says, um, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And when they hear you or refuse to hear you, for their rebellious house, let me just remind you, it's going to be hard work. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> You're not going to have much fruit. 
I'm sure he's incredibly encouraged at this point. Like, yes, I get to go do the hard job. I get to go where everyone else has failed, where nothing's worked, where everyone's going to be against me. They will know that a prophet has been among them. Verse 6, and, and you, son of man, be not afraid of them. Now, now listen. So he, he's painted this picture of kind of a really tough situation. Like I'm sending you to this really challenging situation. Now, now notice what, he's gonna, what, Jesus, what God's about to come behind him with to set his trajectory right in the midst of what he's about to go into. And you shall speak, verse 7, my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. He's like, don't focus on what they hear so much as what I want you to hear, and then you save that. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Verse 9, and when I looked, behold, a, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had written on the front and on the back. And had writing on the front and on the back. And, and there was written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. Okay, that's just, it sounds really weird and awkward, right? Like, we're, okay, here's a book, eat it. Um, obviously, it's figurative. Eat this scroll. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat and he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I may give, that I give to you and fill your stomach with it. Now listen to these words. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. What's the point? The point is here's a guy that that God was sending out with a particular job and a particular task and a particular mission that would be hard and wouldn't be fun and be challenging. And God's like, the way you're going to sustain the trajectory of life that I want to put you on is by getting a hold of my, my word and consuming it. And Ezekiel was like, that did it. Like, it was like honey. It was unbelievable. I, I don't know how many of you um, had the chance to fast in any particular way this week. Um, but if you did, you probably experienced just like, places where it was challenging. Where it was like, I want to give in. I, I want to like, oh, I don't want to do this. And you had to continually set our mind back to, okay, why am I doing this? What's the trajectory? What's the purpose? God, it's about you. It's about you, and really, here's the point, like, Bible intake, that getting a hold of the promises of God is about having in our hands and having in our hearts and minds the person of God, the nature of God, as the means of our hope and our present reality. That's how we set our minds on things that are above. The second thing that we did in week two was prayer. Now, um, this one... Maybe it was just natural for some of you. Like, you're just naturally a person of prayer. Naturally, like, God's with you. God goes with you. He talks to you. He prays with you. You pray with him. You, you have conversation um, together. Um, but this idea of prayer, thinking about, okay, how do we be a people that set our minds on things that are above, um, is submitting ourselves to the will of God. Because when we pray, here's what we're doing, is we're saying, biblically, 
God, what's your will? What's your way? God, establish you and what you want to do. In John chapter 5, Jesus actually rebukes the people because it's like they're doing Bible intake, but they're not doing prayer. Um, look at John five thirty nine. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's like, like I'm the, like, when you go to the Bible, it points to me. It leads you to me that I'm a real person. You can have real interaction, a real relationship with me. And I want to establish my will in the world and in, in your life. Or Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. I love to tell God what, what I know and what I think he doesn't know. Anybody else? My God, you're missing it here. Like, I don't think you see, like, you're up there, right? Like, I, like this perspective, like, I love to do that all the time. Um, and the discipline of prayer what we journeyed on and what we, we hope would help us journey forward in is to establish back his will to say, God, show me what I don't know. Show me where I'm missing it. Show me the marvelous nature, the mighty works of who you are. We think we know a good trajectory for our lives. Jesus says, I have a better one. And then the third week we did... Um, the focus was evangelism, which maybe was a little bit of a retooling in your minds, um, which was kind of the point. Because uh, as we did evangelism, probably um, if you're anything like me, when you think of evangelism, you think of it in one way. Going and telling. Right? Um, which we, we said, and I say here, it includes that, right? Like evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel. It's the proclamation that Jesus is the, the redeeming one. Um, but it also includes the proclamation of the gospel to us as people, to Christians. Like, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. It includes the proclamation of the gospel to my own heart. Like, I need to set my mind on things above. I need to sing my task. I need to sing the promises of God that, gosh, this is who God is. When I want to doubt it, when I want to not believe it. Um, but evangelism is all about realizing the gospel is the only means to fix the brokenness in the world. It's the only hope to change and bring redemption where sin has destroyed and distorted. Um, Paul writes to young Titus when he says this in Titus 2. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So I, I just love that language. To purify for himself a people. Like the gods do, like, that's called sanctification. That's called this ongoing work that God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. That we would be a people that would have zeal, excitement, ambition. Like, so, um, my youngest daughter, Amelia, loves, loves, is obsessed with the minions. The minions. Uh, I got this, like, minion sock hat. It'll be, like, 80 degrees this summer and should be wearing it. Um, but, like, so we have a, uh, a video player in our car. 
that sometimes we'll play, and I think currently the minions are in there, and she, every time, every time we get in the car, she's like, I want minions, I want minions, I want minions, and like, she gets in, she's like, I want minions, excited, excited, like, she's just, she's like explaining that she's excited, even though I'm about to be like, no, we're just going to the grocery store, we don't need to watch a movie, she's two and a half, she doesn't understand, but she's ex- expressing the fact that she's excited about what she thinks is going to happen, that's zeal, that's what Paul's using when he says, zealous. When he uses that word zealous, this is a little girl that has zeal for the minions, okay? Paul's saying that God's prepared us to be a people who are zealous to know, live in, and proclaim a redeeming God. Proclaiming the goodness of Jesus and his redemption is really what sets that trajectory for hope in our lives and in those around us. And then week four, um, was probably, was, man, just super convicting for me, um, was repentance. To really bathe ourselves in the grace of Christ. Um, I don't know how that week went for you, but he, here's the, because here's the challenge, is we live in a world that desperately needs grace. Right? Desperately. And like, I mean, you work with people and you're around people that the last thing you want to do is be gracious to them, right? Because we're naturally people that we, we want to avenge. We want, to, um, we want justice, and we believe that we're the best at executing that justice. Right? Where someone does something wrong, like the natural tendency is I want to convince my wife why she didn't do something right. And why she wronged me. Or like, instead of being gracious and repentance, is this idea that God's been gracious to us. Like, that's what Romans 2.4 is. It's the kindness of the Lord that's meant to lead us to repentance. That's what this week was about. Bathing ourselves in the grace of Christ. Or Colossians 3.13. Memorize this. Try to live by this. Bearing with one another. So there's an aspect where being together is just, we're just bearing. Like, we're just like, I'm just tolerating you, right? Some of you are like, you just looked over at him. <laughs> um, you just, there's, there's days and seasons you just tolerate one another in the grace of Christ. Um, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So it's taking this idea of like, okay, here's how God's forgiven me. How does that inform how I relate to others? Because no sin or offense that anyone does to me is at all worse than the offense that I've done towards God. Um, that's hard. It's one of the most defining attributes of a Christian is that we be people that are gracious and forgiving and that exudes from our hearts. Now again, some of these disciplines, like, you're just rocking it, and others of them, like, that one, like, God, that might just be really, really hard. Um, with particular people or with particular situations, given different hurts and struggles and pains. Um, and, and what's interesting, because the older I get, the more I, I, I sense a natural tendency to grow bitter and to grow cold to struggles and challenges in the world. Um, and the more my prayer from my own heart is that, is that I would see the gracious, redemptive hope of God. And that my perspective would change. And I wouldn't grow old and bitter and cold um, and crusty, maybe is a, is a good word, um, towards challenges. And towards things that I don't agree with or things that are hard or things that might not go the way I want. Um, 
but repentance. It really sets us into seeing life not as the world sees it, but looking to things that are above. God's perspective. Um, this past week, fasting. Man, I hope, um, if you didn't have the chance to, to go through fasting, here's my challenge to you. Go back to the website. Go back to the podcast. You guys are killing it, by the way. You guys know that this is the voice of 40 Days of Transformation right here, <laughs> Devin and Morgan. Um, they cannot wait for it to be over, I know. They're like, little baby. Um, anyway, high-maintenance guy upstairs saying, be like, hey, can we get the podcast up? Um, no, they've been doing fantastic. Thanks for doing that, guys. It's been a, it's been a blessing to us, for sure. Um, but if you haven't had the chance to, uh, this past week, to engage that, here's my challenge to you. Go back and listen to the podcast. Go back and read the material and, and find an opportunity to engage it. Um, just been an incredibly profound week for me, not even in the way that I would have thought it would have been, but just some things that God did. Um, and even for us as elders, as we fasted and prayed together, just some things that God did um, and is doing was, was pretty cool. Um, but fasting, um, one of the things that was in the material this week was that John Piper said that, that fasting is the exclamation point at the end of the prayer, God, I need you more than anything. I just love that. Because fasting is about getting God, the, the presence of, of Jesus. Not so much about, I need an answer. Like, God's into those too, but it's about himself and getting his presence more than like food or anything else. Um, because God's presence changes our lives. It's like in Exodus 33, when God gives Moses the instruction to leave Mount Sinai and take the Israelites, Moses has one concern. Look at it up on the screen. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And he's like, so that over there might be good and right. It might be like it looks good, green pastures and like maybe this is dark and dim. And like, he's like, that looks awesome. But God, if you're not going, I'm not going. Like, that's convicting. It's like we see things and we're like, that's, that's, that's greener pastures. But is God there? Is God's presence there? If your presence won't go with us, don't take us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? Like it's like, it's like the disciples when they were doing ministry and, and the people realized they were just ordinary people, but they'd been with Jesus. Do you know that when you live your life, there's people that see that in you? Like when you're at work, there's people that look at you and they just, they just, they think that, oh, gosh, that person's, they know you're a Christian and they're like, that person's been with Jesus. And they see it in your life. That's what Moses is expressing. It's a distinct, it's a distinction so that we are distinct, I and your people, from ever the people on the face of the earth. There's the distinction as the people of God and we live in his presence. Fasting was, was a habit of grace that we tried to engage in this past week to get us into God's presence. And then this week, it's all about serving. So um, that starts, launches this week, and really it's all about how can, you, how can you do good this week? How can you live outward what God's done inward in an expression, in a way that makes someone say, like, why would you do that? 
Not for our own accolades, our own praise, but in a way that demands gospel explanation so that when someone sees your life of service, they want to know what, like, what's behind that. And it's the gospel. Galatians 5 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom. Using the freedom that God's given us as a way to give. give, To give things. Let's just say this. There's an aspect where giving and serving is very inconvenient. There's an aspect where it's not fun, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's out of the overflow of, this is what God's done for me, so this is what I'm going to do, and this is obedience. And there's aspects where serving is like fun, and it's easy. And I pray we experience both of those this week. Like, don't just look for the opportunities where, like, I love to do this. Do those, but also look for opportunities where it's like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to pull over and help this person change their tire on the side of the road. Because it involves getting off the exit, turning around, coming back the other side, and then getting off the exit, turning around, coming back the other side, and then, then you get there, and then AAA is already there. And, you know what I'm talking about? Never mind. Um, but it's hard sometimes, and that's okay, because that's God's intent. Is that we would be a people that would take our freedom and put it on display so other people could be free. From burdens, from challenges, from, gosh, I just did not want to do the dishes today. Thanks for doing those. I just did not want to change that diaper. Thanks for doing that. I just did not want to do my homework. Thanks for doing that for me. Don't do that one. (laughs) It's about living a life that demands a gospel explanation. Now, go back to Colossians 3. I want to point out two things, and then I'm going to be done. Colossians 3. Look at verse 3. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So these disciplines that we just talked about are all about setting our minds right to live out in a certain trajectory as people of God. But notice two specific things in these last two verses. The first one is having a life hidden with Christ. Do you know what that word hidden means? literally means to protect with a shield. And in many senses, that word hidden there has to do with hiding something with the intent that it would never be found again. Do you hear that? Okay, I'm almost done, So, but you need to hear these last two things because they're life-changing. Not because I'm saying them, but because it's life-changing. Hidden with Christ means that it's hidden in such a way that it would never be found again. So that God would put us in Christ in such a way that it's like, I just, I don't see Jeff anymore. I don't see Cheryl anymore. All I see is Jesus exuding through your life. Listen, that's transformation. And that's the transformation power that God wants to do in us. And he can do in us. Like where we're burdened by our sin or our struggle. And I don't, I don't like that about me. And Jesus says, I want to hide you in myself in such a way that you'd you'd never see yourself again. That's freeing. And that's the transforming power God wants us to live in all the time. Listen, here's the practical application is that as God's people, under the sovereignty of God, we're untouchable. 
Like, you might think that's, like, bold or, like, I don't know. Literally. Like, no one dies too early. Can we just be clear about that? No one dies too early. Like, you ever been to a funeral? Like, this is the work of the enemy. Like, I've been to one of those before. And it's like, no. Like, God is sovereign. No one dies too early. God has a plan. If you're a Christian, you're hidden with Christ. No one can get at you unless God says, like Job... Okay, test my, my child. But you're still hidden, you're still protected. That's transformation. It's living in that ongoing transformation that, listen, that'll give you a place to rest in. You can breathe in, okay. Protecting my identity, protecting who I, who, who I, my, my image. Like, it's not on us. It's God's job. Rest, child. And the second one is this. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So I had a shirt when I was a kid. It had a big baseball on it. It said, baseball is life. May I finish it? The rest is just details. It was white, I think the first day I wore it. And it turned brown because I never, never washed it. Loved it because I loved baseball. How, how would we fill in that blank? If we said Christ is my... Like gen- generally speaking, like who, who do we view Christ to be? Like is, he, is, he, is he life for us? Or is he just like the assurance of heaven... The hope for the next life while I live how I want in this life? Or is he just a like, get out of jail card where I, he takes away my punishment, he bails me out of tough situations? Is he just like a genie in a bottle, a Saul Goodman? Better call Saul, he'll bail you out. When you get in trouble, pray and he'll give you what you need. Is he a friend when I'm lonely? What about when you're not lonely? Because he is a friend when you're lonely. He does bail us out when we screw up. He is an assurance of heaven. He is someone we go to in prayer. But what about when we think we know what to do? What about when life is going well? What about when money isn't tight? What about when we're, we're being successful and things are going well? That's when you know if Jesus is your life or not. Because it's in those times that you say, God sustain the good that's happening. Be in this. This is you. Keep me in your path. Things are going great. My kids are healthy. My marriage is going well. I'm having success at work. But God, you're my life. Keep me focused on you. That's how we know. Paul says, Christ is my life, my only hope, my only joy, the reason I live. He's not just a commodity. This is what Paul's getting at, of having this trajectory about us that sets our minds away from, not not numb to the things of earth, but focused on heaven with a perspective that informs how we live 
our lives every single day because we're people that are hidden in Christ. We're hidden. I want to pray and then I want to give some thoughts as we prepare to respond. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for beckoning us into a hopefulness that's not based in what we see as much as it's based in what you've willed and planned before the beginning of time. God, I'll confess that my perspective oftentimes isn't of a quick response that you're in control and that you're good and that you're doing a good work. And my perspective oftentimes is is doubt and discouragement. We're going to thank you for reminding us this morning that you have a desire for us, a trajectory for our lives that's not based fully in what we see everywhere we go and everywhere we live, but it's based in who you are. And that changes then what we see. And so, God, we just say we need you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. God, would you, would you change us? God, make this about you. Pray in Christ's name, amen.